Chapter fifteen of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part three, by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter fifteen. London, from April till September, eighteen twenty two. Revised in February, eighteen forty five. The Ardennes. Going out of Arlon, I met with a peasant, who gave me a lift in his car for four sous, and put me down on a heap of stones five leagues distant from our starting-place. Having hobbled along a few paces by the aid of my crutch, I washed the linen of my scratch, now become a sore, in a brook which ran by the roadside. This did me great good. The smallpox had come completely out, and I felt myself greatly relieved. I had never given up my knapsack, the fastenings of which galled my shoulders. My first night I passed in a barn, and ate nothing. The wife of the peasant who was owner of the barn refused to take any money for my lodging, and at break of day she brought me a large basin of café au lait, with a piece of black bread, which I relished exceedingly. So refreshed I gaily resumed my journey, although I often fell down. I was rejoined by four or five of my comrades, who relieved me of my knapsack, although they too were ill. We met with villagers, by cart after cart for five days. We had got far enough into the Ardennes to reach Atert, Flamizoul, and Bellevue. On the sixth day I was again alone. The smallpox was becoming white and gradually falling away. After having walked two leagues, which cost me six hours' time, I perceived a family of gypsies, with two goats and an ass, encamped behind a ditch, and sitting round a fire of sticks. I had scarcely arrived when I sank down, and these singular creatures made haste to render me aid. A young woman in rags, lively, brown, and headstrong, sang, leapt, and wheeled about, holding her child across her bosom like a hurdy-gurdy, with which she would have given life to the dance. Then she sat down on her heels directly opposite, examined me curiously by the light of the fire, and asking me for a petit sou, took hold of my dying hand to tell my fortune. It was too dear. It would have been difficult to show more science, grace, and misery than fell to the lot of this sibyl of the Ardennes. I know not when the nomads, of whom I should have been a worthy son, left me, when I roused from my stupor at daybreak, I found them no longer there. My good fortune-teller had gone away, with the secrets of my future life in her keeping. In exchange for my petit sou, she had left an apple near my head, which served to refresh my mouth. I shook myself, like jean lapin among the thyme and the dew, but I could neither feed, nor run, nor leap playfully around. I rose, nevertheless, intending to pay my court to Aurora. She was very beautiful, and I very ugly. Her rosy face announced her good health. She was better than the poor Cephalus of Armorica. Although both young, yet were we old friends, and I pleased myself by thinking that that morning her tears were for me. I plunged into the forest, no longer very melancholy. Solitude had restored me to nature. I carolled the romance of the unfortunate Cazotte. Tout au beau milieu des Ardennes, et un château sur le haut d'un rocher, etc., etc., was it not in the keep of this castle of phantoms that Philip the Second of Spain imprisoned my fellow-countryman, Captain Lanoux, whose grandmother was a Chateaubriand? Philip consented to release the illustrious prisoner, if the latter would agree to have his eyes scooped out. Lanoux was so eager to return to his dear Brittany, that he was just on the point of accepting the conditions. Alas, I was full of the same desire, and to deprive me of my sight, nothing more was needed than an illness with which it had pleased God to afflict me. 
I did not meet with Sir Enguerrand Venant d'Espagne, but with some poor unfortunate foreign peddlers, who, like myself, carried all their goods upon their backs. A woodman, with knee pieces of felt, was entering the wood. He might have taken me for a dead branch and cut me down. Some rooks, larks, and yellow hammers ran along the road, or sat motionless on the tops of the stones, carefully watching the hawk which was hovering around in the air. From time to time I heard the sound of the swineherd's trumpet, looking after the sows and their young ones among the oaks. I stopped to take some rest in a shepherd's movable hut. There was no master in the place except a kitten, which offered me a thousand caresses. The shepherd remained standing at a distance, in the centre of an open space, with his dog stationed at different distances around the sheep. By day the herdsman gathered simples, for he was a physician and sorcerer. By night he watched the stars, and was a Chaldean shepherd. I took up my next station, a quarter of a league further, on the feeding-ground of a herd of deer. Huntsmen were passing at the extremity. A fountain bubbled up at my feet. At the bottom of a fountain in this same forest, Rolando in Amorato, not Furioso, saw a crystal palace full of ladies and knights. Had the paladin, who rejoined the brilliant naiads, at least left behind Breed d'Or at the edge of the spring, or had Shakespeare sent me Rosalind and the exiled duke, they would have brought seasonable aid. Having recovered my breath, I continued my route. My ideas floated vaguely through my mind, not without their charm. My old fantasies, with scarcely the consistence of shadows, three parts effaced, surrounded me to bid adieu. I no longer possessed recollection. At an indefinite distance I saw a confused mixture of unknown images, the airy forms of my relations and friends. When I sat down by the wayside, I thought I saw faces smiling at me from the threshold of distant cabins, in the blue smoke escaping from the roofs of the thatch huts, in the tops of the trees, the brightness of the clouds, in the luminous rays of the sun piercing the fogs like a golden wand. These apparitions were the shadows of the muses, coming to be present at a poet's death. My tomb, scooped out by the mountings of their lyres, unknown oak in the Ardennes, would have been perfectly suitable to a soldier and a traveller. Some pullets which had lost their way among the forms of the hares under the privets, together with the insects, caused some murmurs around me, lives as fickle, as unknown as my life. I could proceed no further. I felt extremely ill. The smallpox struck in, and was stifling me. Towards the close of day, I stretched myself on my back on the ground, in a ditch, my head supported by the knapsack of Atala, my crutch by my side, and my eyes fixed upon the sun, whose rays faded with my vision. With all the sweetness of my thoughts, I saluted the star which had shone upon my early youth in my native plains. We went to rest together, it to arise more glorious, I, to all appearance, never more to awake. I swooned away with a feeling of religion. The last noise I heard was the fall of a leaf, and the whistling of a bullfinch. End of chapter 15